Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts, from top marketers and CEOs, to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and this week I was absolutely delighted to be joined by Jonah Berger. Jonah is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, an expert on word-of-mouth marketing, viral marketing, and social influence and trends. Jonah is also an author. Uh, His first book, Contagious, was a huge hit and one of my favorites in recent years. And today we discuss his new book, Invisible Influence, The Hidden Forces That Shape Behaviour. In particular, we focus on social influence. Social influences are found all around us. Jonah researches, focuses and develops uh, an understanding of word-of-mouth communication with the aim of making sure products offer value and become popular. We discuss attention span versus tolerance. Jonah shares why quality of content matters more than audience attention span. As companies... We're often too product-focused rather than customer-focused. Jonah explains the power of thinking less about ourselves and more about understanding our audiences. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. I'm particularly excited this week to be joined by Jonah Berger. Jonah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Jonah, I'm a huge fan of your first book, and I'm currently reading your second book, Invisible Influence, which came out today. Um, but before we get into that, can I ask you to set the scene with uh, a, a little by telling us about the last 15 years and your fascination with social influence? You know, what's so exciting about social influence is it's around us all the time. Uh, from the products we buy, uh, everything from at the grocery store to the big ticket items like cars, to uh, even who we marry and, and how we behave, careers we end up pursuing. It's amazing to see how we look to others to figure out what we should do and how word of mouth and social influence shape what becomes popular. But what's so interesting is we don't understand a lot about it. Uh, we definitely understand a little, but there's much we don't understand. And so a lot of my research focuses on how we can understand that and how we can use that to get products and ideas to catch on. Cool. So. Today is the official launch of your, your latest book, Invisible uh, Influences. Is that right? That is, yes. Yeah, it hit my, um, my iPad this morning, so um, I've been reading as much as I can. I haven't finished it, but um, literally the first, the first day. So, Invisible Influence, The Hidden Forces That Shape Behavior. What specifically motivated you to, uh, to write this book following on from um, Contagious? Yeah, so um, Contagious was a lot of fun to write, uh, and in the, the few years since it's been out, I've spoken uh, at hundreds of conferences and to companies and organizations about how they can use that science to get their messages to spread and uh, get more word of mouth for their causes. Uh, but what was interesting is after uh, talks, people would often come up to me and say, oh, you know, this is really great, but how can I use these tools to, you know, change my employees' behavior? How can I use them to be at home or at work, and I realized those are great questions that Contagious didn't really answer, and so I wrote Invisible Influence to to try to understand some of the related influences on our behavior that weren't touched on in Contagious. Okay, okay, cool. So you you describe your new book as being about the simple, subtle, and often surprising ways others affect our behavior. What was the most surprising outcome for you going through the the process of researching this, uh, this time around? 
I think what's been so surprising for me is if, if you ask people about social influence, uh, they usually talk about one thing in particular. Look at everybody else behaving the same way. Other people dress the same way. Kids listen to the same music. Um, we see social influence sometimes in the world around us. But first, there's one important place we don't see it, and that's us. Uh, we don't think that influence affects our own decisions. Sure, maybe others buy a certain car because the neighbors bought one or buy certain clothes because they like the way that brand looks. But, but those don't affect us, right? Um, and so that's the first thing. We don't see it in ourselves. But second and, and most interesting, we tend to only see one flavor of influence. That is conformity or imitation. And sure enough, people do conform to others and, and imitate what others are doing, but that's not the only way that, that influence affects us. Often we do the opposite things others are doing. We avoid something because certain people are doing it or it's become too popular. And so to really understand influence, we have to understand how it works, both attracting and repelling people. So... Um it's one of the biggest takeaways uh, you're hoping that people will um, will get to after reading this. Is it is it more um, personal awareness of their own behaviour, or is it very much being able to observe others and then start to influence it? Well, first, just as you nicely said, is can we notice influence in the world around us? Can we see when it's happening? If we're not aware, we can't. Uh, see it happening. We can't take advantage of it. But then the second is to use it to live happier and healthier lives. Everything from how can we become more influential? We'd all love to be more persuasive and have more of an impact on those around us. How can we use these tools to do that? How can we make better decisions and, and better group decisions? Influence is a great tool, but we have to use it effectively. How can we use it to make ourselves and others better off? And, and then also finally, how can we motivate ourselves and others? Peers are a powerful way that, uh, to fire us up and to get us to take action, but we have to understand how it works and take advantage of its upsides and avoid the downsides. Yeah, I guess um, you've got quite a diverse audience. Uh, I guess there'll be a, a quite an eclectic mix of people who be interested in, uh, in, in your work. But um, I, I talk to, um, to marketers all the time who are, are very sort of uh, interested in this stuff, but I guess... To begin to socially influence a person or a group of people, you first got to capture their attention. Um, so that's a, another big, well-known problem for, for marketers. So I've asked many types of communica communication experts for their advice on how to capture and hold people's attention. From your perspective, um, what would your advice be? You know, this is something I touched on a, a little bit in uh, my first book, Contagious, um, and you're very right. Uh, we can't influence someone if we can't get their attention. Uh, what's so interesting about attention is the same old, same old usually won't cut it. Uh, we attend to things that are novel in our environment or, or exciting. Um, if you look at small children even, you know, you show them the same thing you've shown them many times and eventually they get tired of it. But they pay attention to new things because they haven't figured them out yet. And so the question is, how can we maintain our brands and our identities while also using novelty to grab people's attention? Not novelty just seems like a trick. You know, we all recognize when we see ads that uh, use, uh, you know, humor or something else to get our attention, but they don't really deliver question is how can we hold people's attention? There's a, a great term called a curiosity gap, which is really how do we open up a gap in people's knowledge, show them that there's something interesting that they know, but they don't know all of it. How do we show them the rest? And I think that's a great tool to grab attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just around that attention, um, it's bandied around all over. Lots of um, so-called influencers talk about the fact that our attention span is, is shrinking. And um, I've read a whole host of uh, different theories. Some say that we've got an attention span of nine seconds. Others say we've got an attention span of less than six. Um, 
Now, I've spoke to Robert McKay about this, a great story expert who shares um, many of your principles, certainly from, from your first book. And he's of the opinion that actually it's not attention span, it's tolerance span. Um, tolerance, tolerating um, messages that come in towards us and stories and, and that kind of stuff. How do we... How do we how do we pierce somebody's tolerance span if, if, if that is the case? Is it, is it by differentiating? Is it by reinventing ourselves and standing out? Is, is there a straightforward um, mechanism we could use there, or, or is it just not that easy? I like that distinction between attention span and, and tolerance span, and um, I think it's, it's very right. You know, if you think about uh, what our attention span is for pictures of our vacation or talking to our best friends, it wouldn't be five seconds or seven seconds, it'd be hours. Uh, if you think about our attention span for our social media on Facebook or watching our favorite uh, football team on television, uh, we'd be happy to do that for hours, if not days. And so it's not just about what our attention is. It's how tolerant we are of that content, as, as you nicely said. I think the, the key is marketers, you know, too often we're product-focused. We think about what we're good at, what our company's good at, and we think, let's tell people about us and what we're good at. We need to think about how to be customer-focused. Think about what they need, what they value, um, and how to pitch it to them based on, on those needs. You know, too often companies talk about features rather than benefits. Uh, you know, our product does this, our product does that. Well, what does our product allow the consumer or customer to do at the end of the day? The customer doesn't care about the features. They care about how those features will make their lives better. Uh, and so really focusing, and this is, you know, a common uh, thing in everyday conversation, think less about ourselves and more about our audience. The more we think about our audience, the more interested they'll be in our message. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess uh, a key word that we talk about um, on, on this show quite a lot is, um, is empathy. So empathizing with, with your audience. How important is, um, is using empathy as a tool to drive social influence? Uh, empathy is a, a very important tool. And I, I think, you know, uh, one could use a synonym for empathy, which would be understanding. Um, you know, the more we can see something from someone else's perspective and take their perspective, the more we can deliver value to them. It's hard, though. Uh, you know, humans, uh, my, myself included, all of us have a, a natural tendency to be egocentric. You know, we focus on ourselves, our own needs, our own likes and dislikes, and it's very hard for us to get outside our own head and, and think about others. So empathizing with others, seeing from their perspective, um, you know, you even look at how companies do market research in this way. You know, how can we literally put ourselves in our customers' shoes? If, if I'm trying to pitch a product to an elderly population, well, let me put on a suit that makes it difficult for me to walk and difficult for me to pick up things and difficult for me to see, and I have a better sense of what it's like in that person's shoes. The, the better we have an understanding there, the more we can communicate the value of what we have to offer. Absolutely. And, it, you know, a lot of it's sort of determined by what lengths or, you know, what amount of effort you're willing to go to to empathize and really, really understand your, your audience. So, so okay, if, if we're looking specifically now at, at social, social influence, um, is, there, is there a formula or a basic set of principles to follow um, to become more socially influential, or again, is it is it not that simple? Uh, I wish there was just a simple one or two things you could do. Uh, you know, in, in Contagious, I, I talk about a framework for word of mouth, which is the STEPS framework, and, and that stands for social currency, triggers, emotion, public, practical value, and stories, and each of those is a driver of, of why people share. 
when it comes to influence, it, it's certainly more complicated. If I had to lay out a framework, there are a few things we need to understand. One is conformity or imitation, when and why people do the same thing as others. Another is uniqueness or differentiation, when people avoid things that others or too many others are doing. Uh, a third is identity signal, or what does it signal about us to use a product or service? Says something different to drive a Honda versus a Mercedes. What does it communicate about us? Um, and then how those various factors combine, that idea of optimal distinctiveness. Uh, we want to be similar and different at the same time. And so understanding all those motivations and, and how they interact and when one plays versus another plays will help us take advantage of social influence. Yeah, being similar but different at the same time, that's, well, that's that's really complicated just to start thinking about. But you um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about motivation. So if you so socially influence somebody, that's one thing. But if you can motivate them and drive them to action, that seems like um, a step even even further. Um, can you give us a good example that sort of illustrates how you might socially influence somebody and, and motivate them to take action? Well, uh, a great story is uh, from a company in the U.S. that uh, that deals with energy. And if you think about energy use, most people have no idea how much energy they use a month. We get the bill in the mail. We don't know if the number's big or small. We have no idea how it compares to anyone else around us. Um, so it's really hard to understand, well, should we be using less energy? How, how am I doing it relative to others? So this company does something very simple. All they do is add a couple lines to your energy bill that says, hey, this is one of your neighbors, someone who has a similar-sized house, uh, and this is how much energy they're using. And what they found is this has a huge impact in changing people's behavior. Now that people have a social comparison, they're not just a number. They have a sense of whether that number is high or low. They're much more likely to save energy. People out there could say, wow, you know, my neighbor's doing so much better than I am. Maybe I should take some steps to do better myself. It gets those competitive juices flowing, and, and that's really important. Uh, you know, social comparisons provide a great benchmark or reference point to judge ourselves against, whether it's, uh, you know, how well we're doing at golf or how many friends we have on social media. Getting some sense of how well others are doing provides a sense of whether we're doing good or bad and motivates us to work harder. Yeah, and I guess a simple and basic sales technique for, for many years has been framing things differently to try and um, convince your audience to look at something differently and, and contrasting and comparing. Um, is, that, is that the same principle there? I think it depends on what you're contrasting and comparing to. So the idea of social comparisons is, is certainly saying a contrast or compare, but let's use another person as that contrast or compare. So we found, for example, that uh, basketball teams that are down by one at halftime are actually more likely to win the game than teams that are ahead. And you might say, well, that's funny. I mean, teams that are ahead are actually better teams, uh, and they're further ahead in the game, so they have to do less work to win. So it's hard for teams coming from behind to win, but what they are is they're more motivated. Uh, that other team provides a standard of comparison that they can judge themselves. And so take into a marketing context, you know, how can you show people how they're doing relative to others and use that to, to motivate them? If you're selling a service, for example, in a B2B market, how can you show someone, look, you know, this is where you're doing relative to your competition. We can help you close the gap. I'm just uh, actually about to release a big uh, dynamic index of brands uh, within a public group, uh, ranking you know across the world which brands are more dynamic and which are less so. And I guarantee, if your brand is 50th and another brand is 40th, you're going to want to know what they did and how you can get better and move up that list. So, social comparisons are a powerful way to to motivate action. Mm, absolutely, it reminds me of uh, what's the car hire company that have accepted the fact that they're second. So. 
their brand messages we we try harder it seems like they're using that um that sort of psychological approach to try and win uh, customers into thinking that um they're a, a better service because then they're, they're not the the best um but i wonder if they use that message internally to motivate the staff and and have something to to focus towards Jonah, it, it strikes me that a lot of what you're talking about is essentially how we elicit uh, emotion from, from others or how we change other people's emotional state. Uh, and I guess we might do that unwittingly, by accident. We might do it naturally. Some are better than others. But can we learn to do it on purpose? Um, first of all, um, is that a true statement? Uh, and and you know, can, can we learn to, to do it better? Yeah, emotions are another thing that uh, we need to understand when it comes to consumers and to messaging. Uh, you know, uh, people don't just take action because of functional benefits. What a what a product does or what a service offers. It's do they care about it? You know, the more they care about it, the more connected they feel, and the more motivated they are to share. And so, if we understand emotions, we can we can certainly use them. You know, not all emotions are are effective for what we want. Certain. Emotions increase memory, others increase sharing, others drive people to action. But, you know, at, at their core, emotions are really the fire that, that can motivate us. And so if we don't understand how to use them, it's very hard to, to push people to do something. Absolutely. Um, and I want to ask you about what are some of the most powerful some of the most powerful emotions to drive action. But before we, before we get into that, what's the most effective means of changing someone else's emotional state? Is there a, a process or steps that we can take or are there ingredients that we should bear in mind? I mean, mu- music is certainly one. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to change people's uh, mind state and put them in a different place than they are otherwise. Uh, words require a lot of cognitive processing to read, and so they're not as emotional as looking at images or, or videos or, or sound. Uh, because they require more effort, uh, you know, they really put us in a more cognitive mindset rather than more an emotional one. So, um, you know, when we're trying to, to get people in a certain mindset, sometimes emotion, video, or, or uh, sound can be a better way to do it than, than just words. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, if, if, we, if we come back to driving action, what would you say the most powerful emotions are? Uh, in our own research, uh, we've, we've found that there are two types of emotions, some that are sort of high arousal or, or high action and others that are low arousal or low action, not just positive or negative, but it stands across both. So on the negative side, anger and anxiety are two high arousal or action-oriented emotions. But on the positive side, things like excitement, uh, humor, inspiration, or surprise all of those are positive emotions that fire us up and to take us to, to take action. And so understanding the it's, it's, uh, tendencies associated with emotions beyond just whether they're positive or negative is vital. It's not just enough to say there's a positive emotion. It could be a positive emotion that doesn't motivate folks. And in terms of being aware of trying to change somebody's emotional state, um, I guess there's a sort of um, a good and evil sort of aspect to this as well. How... how um, when, when you're studying this and revealing your sort of evidence, uh, you know, what sort of warning sort of signs does, does this come with, health warning? You know, because this, this could be used to manipulate rather than influence, right? And those two things are very, very different. 
Yeah, I'm happy to answer this uh, last question, and then unfortunately I have to go. Um, but uh, that's a great point. And you know, influence by itself is is not a bad thing. It's, it's about how it's used. Uh, you know, uh, imagine you couldn't look to others to figure out what restaurant to try or what book to read. Life would be a lot more effortful. And so, influence can often help us be better off. But at the same time, it can be used to manipulate and, and change people in a negative way. And so what I hope um, and what Invisible Influence is really about is how by understanding how influence works, can we take advantage of the upsides and, uh, and avoid the downsides, you know, not to uh, manipulate people, but understand how we can provide value and communicate that value in a, in a way that will drive them to choose. Mm, absolutely. Jonah, I really appreciate your time. I know you're, you're, you're pushed at the moment. So uh, finally, can you tell us where we can find out more about you, how, how people can um, find your book um, and, uh, and enjoy a lot of uh, the, the, the latest research that you reveal there. Yeah, so the best place to find me is uh, just Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, uh, Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Uh, that has uh, both the new book as well as the older book, a whole bunch of free resources that people can use to apply these ideas, uh, and a whole bunch of other tips and, and tricks. Uh, and you can also find me at J1 Burger on Twitter. Fantastic, fantastic. Thanks for joining me today, Jonah. Hopefully you'll join me again and we can dig into this a little bit more. Um, but for now, I'll, I'll let Thank you go. Thanks so much. Take care. That's it for uh, another week. Join us again next time and take care. Thanks a lot. So that's it for another week. But before you go, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And for a chance to win a copy of our best-selling book, Getting Goosebumps, simply subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tweet us your thoughts using hashtag Getting Goosebumps. Would you like to pick the next guest? Let me know who you'd love to hear on the show by emailing me at brian at ph-creative.com.